Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon at Fountain City Church. We hope that you are blessed by this message today. If you'd like to learn more, you can check out our website at fountaincity.org. All right, Acts chapter 1, verse 4. On one occasion, while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then they gathered around him, and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Uh, Last week, we heard from Stephen Kurt as he shared on the five pitfalls of preaching Pentecost. And I want to give you just a fast, like a 30-second overview of those things and then dive into one that he skipped. Um, And so um, he talked about these five things. He talked about missing out on the full empowerment of the Spirit, that oftentimes when we talk about Pentecost and the things of the Spirit, we actually jump right over the full empowerment of the Spirit Um, that we are invited to experience because of the outpouring we see in Acts chapter 2. And not just the Spirit dwelling in us, like we see in John 17, Jesus breathes on us as his disciples. Uh, And on your salvation experience, we all agree that the Lord has given you his Holy Spirit to dwell in you and to call you a son or daughter. Amen? Every person who has been saved and given themselves to the Lord, they are all full of the Spirit in that way. And yet, Jesus tells them here in Acts chapter 1, make sure you go and wait. And so there's a separate and a secondary experience of being baptized in the Spirit. And so we can miss out on the empowerment of the Spirit. Secondly, we can neglect the ultimate missional purpose of the Spirit. And Stephen did, man, a beautiful job. I don't know if you were here when he started to speak in like seven different languages and talk about the the tribes around the throne, and I was getting all weepy, and I know Casey was weepy, and a lot of you were weepy who feel like you have a call to the nations, like God was giving you an urgency about what it is that he longs to do, and sometimes we forget about that missional purpose that the Spirit gives us. Uh, Thirdly, we minimize the personhood of the Spirit. Fourthly, we forget that the Pentecostal power demands participation, that it's not just God slapping us with something, but he invites us into something to exercise and to exert our own energy to take hold of what God has, has allowed us to have. And finally, that we overlook the gift of the Holy Spirit as a promise. Now, if you were with us, then you know that uh, Stephen skipped over the fourth point, and that was the point on participation. And so today, my goal is to really just take a few minutes and to cover that, because I believe it's really important for us. Um, does that sound good? Yeah? Okay. Are you guys going to be really quiet today? Because you know I'm going to get awkward and weird if you're quiet. So we just need to be clear about that right now. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thanks, Dustin. He doesn't want the awkwardness. Um. (laughs) Oh, more of you. Nice. (laughs) Everybody got vocal all of a sudden. One of the things that I have found being Pentecostal, growing up in Pentecostal circles, where we really value and talk about Uh, and communicate a lot about the Holy Spirit, is that there is often a massive distance between what we say on Sunday morning and us receiving a message, and then us leaning into the person of the Spirit on Monday. 
and really taking hold of everything that God has made available for us in Christ Jesus, namely the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes there's a dramatic difference between us just preaching Acts 2 and then living Acts 2. And, and what I happen to see here um, in Acts chapter 2 is that there is a massive difference between me just hearing Jesus' call to the disciples to wait for the gift of the Father and me specifically hearing the voice of Jesus saying, hey, wait for the gift that the Father's promised. And, and friends, I want to tell you um, that for us as a people, we want to remind you and we want to call out to you that this invitation, and I would even say this command of Jesus um, to not only go into all the world and make disciples, but to wait for the gift that the Father has promised, that that is as much for us today as it was for a group of people 2,000 years ago who relied on Jesus for everything. And, and I want you to just imagine that this morning. What if this morning, it's not Grant sitting up front, but what if Jesus is sitting before you? What if Jesus walks in and takes the mic, and um, I would gladly hand it over, and he begins to share, and I, I can imagine somebody would say, Jesus, what do we need to be focused on now? What is the thing that is burning in your heart? What's most important to you? Is it relationships or finances or community building? or What is it, Jesus? And I genuinely believe that he would respond. Guys, don't leave Columbus yet. Wait for the gift that my father promised, which you heard me speak about. You've been baptized with water, but soon you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now think about that. It's very different hearing about disciples 2,000 years ago being told that and then watching them wait. It's another thing for you to receive this word that Jesus is calling you to wait on him. To wait on him, to cultivate an active hunger, a longing for everything that God has promised and spoken to you. That God actually means what he says when he says wait. And for many of us, I think we have just kind of skipped over that that command as being for a group of people back then or for some people who have received now. And we forget that this is a present tense invitation from Jesus to us. Wait. And you and I have a decision to make when we hear the voice of Jesus saying that, right? We either go about life as usual, or really, imagine Jesus says that this morning. You, you, are, you are left with the decision to make. Okay, now? We, do we start now, Jesus? Or maybe we should go to lunch, and then I've got some other things I've got to do, and then maybe I'll, I'll wait. Do you feel the tension? Are you with me? So Jesus is actually coming before us and he is inviting us. Guys, I have something that is incredibly important. I'm asking you to go into all the world and to make disciples of all nations. And we are left with this sense that we don't have what we need in order to do what he's asked. But he says, but I I plan to give you everything that you need if you will wait. And I'm afraid for many of us, uh, for our culture, our Our cultural Christianity has made it possible for us to hear powerful messages like we heard last week and to leave kind of unaffected because the subject hasn't really taken shape in our reality. See, Jesus makes it plain that we are responsible for what we hear, and Jesus tells us to wait. And Jesus isn't just talking to disciples 2,000 years ago. He is standing among us this morning with the same commission All authority in heaven and on earth belongs to me, so I tell you, go. 
And everywhere you go, make disciples of every nation, every people group, every tribe, every tongue, every subculture in Columbus and Phoenix City and Smith Station in the Valley, every lost person who works at your job and workplace beside you. Everywhere you go, moms, dads, aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters, cousins, nephews, make disciples of all of them and baptize them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. But he says you have to wait if you're going to do this. And our capacity to do what he's commanded really depends on our ability to respond to this command to wait. You know, so for many of us, we actually excuse our participation in God's mission when we ignore this command to wait. Jesus' command comes to us and we just simply go on about life as usual. And guys, this is kind of a brutal part of having churches on every corner We have information download constantly. You can turn on any Christian radio station, watch a million podcasts, and never really respond to what we're hearing. Am I right? And what that does is it breeds a kind of judgment in us because we're actually responsible for what we hear. We're responsible for what we know is true and right and good. We're responsible to say yes when Jesus calls out to us. And this morning, I want you to see him and to hear him calling out to you, this is my purpose and my plan and my mission, but in order to do it and to be faithful, you must wait. Jesus makes this remarkable statement to the disciples in that passage. He says, don't depart, but wait for the promise of my Father. Now, if we fast forward to Acts chapter 1, verse 15, Luke tells us that the company of people who were there with Jesus when he says it, they number 120, Right? And in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it says that all of them were together in one place. Acts chapter 2, verse 4 says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Who was all? How many? 120, right? 120 out of 120 people were filled based on the promise. How many times do we come into church and have the same kind of faith and belief that what God has promised to 100% of people will come to pass for 100% of people? That when he spoke about the Holy Spirit, that it's not 20% or 5% or maybe just that one guy who got filled, but, but actually it, it is a gift and an invitation for everyone. And the eager expectation is that 100% of people will be filled in the same way. Now maybe you're thinking, or maybe this is the, the theology you grew up with, well, it's just for the original disciples, right? That, that the movement of the Spirit, that the baptism of the Spirit was just for that group of people 2,000 years ago. Maybe you were taught that the gifts ended with the apostolic age. Uh, the, the theology word for that is just cessationism, that all the gifts have ceased, right? But there are two problems with that. First, we haven't left the apostolic age, right? The apostolic age is continuing since the gospel has still not reached all people. This, this uh, reality of apostles and God sending people is this vision of God sending his kingdom and his gospel into all the earth to the places that are not yet represented in his bride, the bride of Christ. Um, And so Stephen quoted this last week. You can go to joshuaproject.net if you're interested in this. Um, There are 7,000 some odd unreached people groups across the earth. 40% of those people groups still have no access or little access to the person of Jesus. 40%. And so I, I think a fun little study, like if we took half the room, uh, actually 40% would be like the both sides, right? If, look, look in the room right now. If you're on the right side or the left side, would you just stand up? 
Okay. What unreached people tell us is that, um, that there is an inequity in the way that the gospel is shared abroad. Right? 40% of the world, 60%, we have open access, we have radio stations and Bibles, we have people preaching and teaching to us. But for 40%, it doesn't matter where they go, they don't have access to Jesus. They don't have teachers, they don't have other believers, they don't have Bibles. They will go their entire lives and never hear anything about the gospel. You can say, does that seem fair? No. No, the apostolic age has not passed because the nations still have not been reached. Several years back, I was in Istanbul with some friends, and I was, uh, they had a meeting one night, and so they love to just kind of throw people out and to just figure stuff out. And, so, and it's easy, you know, Istanbul is only 18 million people, and I speak perfect Turkish, so no problem, right? So they tossed me out sometime in late afternoon. They give me a cell phone. It was an Android. I didn't even know how to work the thing. Um, I'm walking around Istanbul, and I can't figure out directions on it, and it's, it's a city of 18 million, and as I'm walking, the Holy Spirit starts to talk to me. I bump into a person, and he says, that person has never heard my name. I bump into another person. That person has never heard me, and another, and another, and another. You would have to live for months and months and months before you could find a single believer in the city. And the Lord started to burden my heart. What does it mean to be a person who lives among the unreached? So, so the reason that we can't just flush this as um, the, the gifts were just for the original disciples is that the apostolic age has not ended. It is now. This is still the time when God is calling people to himself. And he uses you and I, weak and frail and fragile people, and he sends us. He sends us to those who have not heard so that we can be a part of telling them. It is the greatest honor in all the earth. But the second reason is that God promises that the gift of the Holy Spirit is for every generation and for every person that God calls. Listen to Joel chapter 2, verse 28 and 29. He says, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women... I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. This is exactly what the Apostle Peter begins to declare and proclaim in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit comes. He says, guys, this is not some group of men who are just drunk off their heels because people came up and they were speaking in tongues. Their first thought was these guys are drunk and it is early. They got started early getting drunk, right? He says, they're not drunk like you suppose. This is the gift that was spoken about in Joel chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. That the Holy Spirit, in the last days, God will pour out His Spirit on all people. And it was this confirming word of what God was doing. But listen to what he says in uh, chapter 2, verses 38 and 39. He says, this promise is not just for the few, but this promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And see, what many of us have done is that we have made the, the baptism of the Spirit optional in our generation. And we've said it's only for a few people. That thing that the charismatics do, that the Pentecostal thing, those holy rollers. When I was a kid, they would call them holy rollers or tongue talkers, or, you know. And guys, I, I don't think, I think for those of us who have grown up in Pentecostal circles, 
we've kind of grown ambivalent and a little bit like neutral and apathetic towards the things of the Spirit in this way. And for those of you who maybe you saw the things of the Spirit abused or you had bad experiences, you've stiff-armed it. And then in the middle of this, what I want you to see is that Jesus says this is not a suggestion or optional, but if you're going to be a part of following him and doing what it is he's called you to do, then you need the gift that he's promised. And he is a gift. He's a gift. I don't know if you have been in those moments where you felt so incredibly alone and weak and that the spirit of God wells up in you and says, I'm with you. You're not alone. You're not alone. You will never be alone for the rest of your life. I don't know if you've ever gone into a situation where you felt so fragile to, to tell people about the Lord or to share the gospel with someone or to just be a comfort in the middle of brokenness. It's not your wisdom. It's not your grace and your great personality that figured that out. Man, it is the winsome personality of the Holy Spirit. He's a gift. Now, can you imagine if 120 people were in that upper room that day and 20 people received? That would be a different story. Then we could back off and say, you know what? Some receive. This is a gift for some. It's promised to some, but for others, it's just an option. It's just a suggestion. But those are really the odds that we've come to accept in our generation. And for many of you, uh, maybe you have accepted that the Holy Spirit is just for those more expressive Christians or maybe for everyone but you, right? When I was praying about today, uh, about this morning, yesterday, I really felt the Lord just tell me plainly, I don't promise anything that I don't intend to fulfill. He has promised 100% of you in this room the gift that you need in order to accomplish all that he's called you to. And listen to me. God has invested in you. He has called you for a specific purpose. You are called to be people of consequence. Hear me. Your life matters. The choices and the decisions you make, they matter. People are standing on the edge of life and death. And the way that we live in this world is consequential. So the decisions I make to sow into people who are difficult and not easy and hateful sometimes because the love of Christ has invited me there, that is a question of consequence. Those of us who are going through tremendous heartache and and life seems to be crashing down on our heads, it is a tremendous matter of consequence whether we will sow forgiveness or stay hard-hearted and broken. Are you with me? Because your life is called to be this... this, uh, This light, it shoots out in the darkness and it lights everything up. And when you don't show up in that space, something's missing. Because God has, he's called you, he's purposed you, he's destined you to actually walk in the fullness of his power and his presence. Are you with me? You are called to live a, a life of consequence. And the Lord wants to equip you to do it. How mean would it be if God said, I want you to do this. And then he never gave you what empowered you to do it. Some of you feel like that. God, you have asked me to do this impossible thing, but I don't have the tools and the equipment. And he says, I have promised. I promised. And Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, goes the extent to talk about what happens when God makes a promise. Have you read it? He says, whenever God makes a promise, he fulfills it. And he does it by two things that cannot be changed, by his name and by his word. Two unchangeable, unshakable things. That is how God makes a promise. And he fulfills the promise not based on your goodness or your faithfulness, but on his character and his faithfulness. 
How many of you feel like, man, I have dropped it. I don't even deserve to receive the Spirit. I feel like that some days. God, I haven't, I haven't done anything to deserve this. I feel like I have failed you. And in the midst of that, God reminds us that every promise He makes, He makes um, on His own tab. Every covenant He has made with you, He makes on His own tab because you don't have what it takes to keep up the other end. But He's just so good that He does it. I don't promise anything that I don't intend on fulfilling. So the scriptures make it really plain to us. 120 people heard that command of Jesus to wait. 120 went to Jerusalem. 120 people fasted and prayed for 10 days. 120 waited together. And then 120 people spoke in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Friends, we just we can't make optional what Jesus has made necessary. And here, here is, I realize in this room, there's so many of you that I don't know. I don't know where you come from. Like, I don't know your journey into this place. Um, and this may sound like a dogma that I want you to be filled with tongues. No. I'm calling you to open yourself up to the promise of the Spirit. Are you with me? Because sometimes we can get caught up on the dogma of the manifestation instead of welcoming the person, the gift, the promise, and saying, Jesus, whatever you want. I surrender everything you want. You say that this is necessary. You say that he is absolutely necessary for the journey that you're calling me on. I say yes to that. Jesus says all authority belongs to him. So go into all the world. But first, wait. Now, inevitably, one of the things that comes to mind when we talk about Matthew 28 is, uh, Grant, I don't think I'm called to be a missionary. Cool. Cool. Nobody said, even in this passage, if you get into the Greek, what it says is, um, all authority in heaven and on earth belong to me, so go. It actually translates better, so while you're going, make disciples. While you're going, some of you are going to get up out of here and you're going to go to the restaurant, you're going to go home, or you're going to go to a gas station, Um, or this week, you're going to go to work. And Jesus says, while going, make disciples. But some of you do have the nations burning in you while going, Make disciples, right? And so one of the things we've been wrestling with when we started uh, Fountain City, we had, I still do, I I just feel like the Lord is calling many of you here because he's sending you somewhere. Um, And he knows that that we want to be a part of that sending process. Um, We're less of a a mega church, uh, even a minor church. We're a slingshot. (laughs) Like We feel like God entrusts us with people to, Uh, help you get healed up and whole to equip you and then to get you out to where God has called you. Isn't that good? It is good. I promise you. So we're not just trying to build it up. We want to slingshot folks out. Um, And so in the middle of that, we used to say our church is a family of missionary disciples. And uh, at some point in the last couple of months, one of our, uh, in one of our team meetings, everybody said, hey, I think this missionary term locks people up. Are you saying everybody needs to be a missionary? And of course, me being like, yes, absolutely. That's exactly what I want. Uh, no, no, that's, that's not what we want. We actually changed our mission statement to say we are a family of missional disciples. And there's a reason. Because living a missional life is 100% of our duty and calling, right? Every single one of us is called to live missionally. No matter where you go, you are called to be a light in the darkness. You are called to be hope for those who are hopeless, You were called to have a reason for the hope that you have in Christ. Being missional starts long before those of you who may be wrestling with being missionary. 
And missionary really just means that you're engaging with the lost in an overseas context with different ethnic groups. Um, the Spirit makes us missional long before we engage in missions, right? And for those of you who are wrestling with that calling, there is nothing magical about moving overseas if you haven't practiced being missional here. Are you hearing me? You don't become a missionary. There's not some airplane anointing that happens when you're crossing the ocean. Uh, I feel it, the apostolic anointing. <laughs> you know, <laughs> That would be weird. For some of us, though, we've kind of grown up with that sense. Like, if, as long as I go overseas, I'm becoming a missionary. No, you, you have to learn to grow as a missional person now. And what do you need to be missional? Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. I, I am ground zero for missing out on what the Holy Spirit is doing. I am a perfect example of that. So many days I wake up and the only thing I can think about is my to-do list and the things going on in my world and who I need to help and what I got to do. And quite often, I never get to the best prayer question you can ask. Holy Spirit, what are you doing today? What would it be like if as a community, as the, the Big C Church in Columbus, what if we started asking, Holy Spirit, what is on your agenda today? What do you have in mind for me and for the people around me today? What is it that you want to do? The wildest days in my life have been uh, begun with that question. Holy Spirit, what's on your mind today? What does it look like for Maranatha Woodworks, for Casey to start saying, Holy Spirit, what do you have in mind today? And as he goes about woodworking and building cabinets and meeting with clients, what if God is actually training him to be a missional, apostolically minded person who is loving in such a way that he, he brings the gospel to people while they think they're just getting cabinets? Are you with me? Guys, there is so much power in what God wants to do when he transforms the inside of your life, when he terraforms you by his spirit and he moves in. God uses you for his glory, and for some of us, we're, uh, man, I'm so scared that we just go to sleep at the wheel. He wants you to be a person of consequence. He's called you to be a missional, spirit-led person today, and he's calling all of us into that work. And so, so maybe you're wrestling with a missionary calling in here. Maybe 10 or 20% of us will think in a third culture context with um, uh, other ethnic gr people groups, um, but 100% of us are called to be missional. And so I just have some final thoughts I want to close with this morning. And here really is my big thrust. I don't even know if I've hit it well this morning, okay? Here's, here's the big thrust. You cannot do what God's called you to do without the gift that he's promised. You can't. You can't. At H&K, you can't. Johannes, you can't. Teen Challenge, you can't. Those of us who work in the church and in religious non-for-profits, we are the most suspect. Right? Because we're around Christians all day. It's easy to just shift into neutral, auto-drive, and act like because that's the work that we're operating in the Spirit. It's not true. It's not true. We have to open our hearts and our lives up to this. What does it look like with In Color? What does it look like with Matcha Garden? What does it look like everywhere you are, working in uh, technology, working at Take the City, working in, you guys with me? Thank you, Judah. What's it look like? Marty, man, on the road, everywhere, all the time, more than you care for. What does it look like to be so full of the Spirit 
that you realize your own mission, man, your own mission. God wants to pivot our mindset to change the way that we think about things. You know how you begin to not hate work? You see it as a mission field. And the people that you interact with, you see them as people who are recipients of God's love and his grace and his mercy. Vanessa, those kids that you're ministering to, those teachers that you're loving on, suddenly they become recipients of God's kingdom. You cannot do what you're called to do without the gift that he has promised. Please, friends, listen. If I can say it with tenderness uh, and, and burden, do not sidestep the Holy Spirit. Do not sidestep what Jesus said is necessary for you to be and do all that he has called you to be and do. You will feel empty. You will feel exhausted. You will feel weary. And there are times even in the spirit where you feel those things, but his grace is more than enough. Amen? Final thoughts. If you are called to follow Jesus, then you are called to live on mission with him everywhere you go. There is no place that is safe from the kingdom of God if you are there. There's no place. It's an easy thing. Some of you are praying, God, would you give me the ability to pray for people and to see them healed? That just means you need to start looking for sick people and just start praying for people. Really, it's not complicated. Just trust the Holy Spirit and start praying for people. Is it awkward? Yes. Yes, it's awkward. <laughs> it is good for people, Judah. Thank you. I love him. Um, yeah, so wherever we are called to go, we are called to live on mission with him. Secondly, every single one of us shares in this common purpose. We talked about this um, like a year ago, but all of us have this one purpose. Matthew 28, right? He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. Some of you are saying, God, what is my purpose? I promise you, you should be able to draw a line directly back to that statement. How is my life making disciples? Are you with me? Come on. Guys, please, I have heart trouble. Can you give me some feedback? Did you see me milk it just then? <laughs> I'm going to sit back down. My chest is sore. <laughs> no one's ever going to trust me now. <laughs> it really is up a little bit. Okay. Um. <laughs> that was messed up. I'm so sorry. I told you I have a weird sense of humor. All right. <laughs> All of us, every single one of us, it doesn't matter if you are sweeping a gas station for a living. Hear me. Watering plants. Where's my friend? Ashley. Watering plants. Working at TC taking care of babies, somehow we have to draw a direct line back to this Matthew 28 command, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. We share a common purpose. Now, how that is manifest in your life is going to be very different based on your personality and the grace and gift on your life. And I, and I have a whole list of things that go into that. But friends, we all share this common purpose. We are all on mission with Jesus. Thirdly, you cannot be good witnesses without power. You can't. A hundred percent of you have been promised the Holy Spirit, and Jesus says he is necessary for the journey. And so I just want to close with this passage out of Acts 19. You know, in Acts chapter 2, we see the Spirit poured out, and people everywhere start coming to Christ. 3,000 that first day. Peter preaches 3,000 people. Can you imagine? Get saved in a day, and they just start to 
to form into groups and homes and meeting in the temple daily. There is energy and momentum and thriving, but there are people who still don't know the fullness of the gospel. They don't have like text message or, you know, it's, it's not like us with, um, with Instagram or Twitter or any of those things. Like one message goes out and hits millions of people all at once. A group of people hears it in Jerusalem and then they travel out. And so people are getting bits and pieces of the gospel. And here in Acts chapter 19, um, the Apostle Paul, um, he comes to Corinth. And it says here in verse 1, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior. I'm sorry. And he arrived at Ephesus, not Corinth. And there he found some disciples and he asked them, hey, guys, did you receive the spirit, the Holy Spirit, when you first believed? And they answered, no, we haven't even We haven't even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. Can you imagine? They've been following Jesus, doing what they can to be faithful. And he says, did you guys ever receive the full gift that was promised to you? Did you just receive part of it? They said, no, we we didn't even know that there was a Holy Spirit. And so Paul asked them, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism. Now listen to this. What is John's baptism? Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is Jesus. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not just about repentance and forgiveness of sins. There is more. There's more. He says, what what baptism did you receive? And he told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues, and they prophesied. Friends, the the gift of the Holy Spirit is not for the sake of tongues and prophecy. That is just a sign that shows up all through the book of Acts that people have received so that they have power to witness. It is not about us just getting these manifestations. It is about power to witness. Amen? You have been called to live a life of consequence. You have been called to follow Jesus and to make disciples of every person, but you can't do what he's called you to do without the gift he's promised. I want to invite our prayer team to come. Um, For some of you today, I have the unique sense um, that you just have felt like this is a gift for others, but not for me. Grant, I'm not mature enough. I don't know enough. Nobody who received was mature enough or knew enough. Nobody has ever been mature enough or known enough to receive. And what I want to do today for some of you, um, it may look like just opening the door again and saying, Father, would you fill me? Would you fill me? I don't know why this hasn't happened in the past. I don't know what has happened to me, but I'm hungry to be filled. You know, we were talking this week, and um, we were talking about how oftentimes we spend so much time trying to convince the skeptical. And um, I just really feel like that's not who we're talking to this morning. I'm talking to those of you who are hungry but quiet, maybe disappointed, maybe disillusioned. And maybe you have felt like the Holy Spirit is for everybody else. I'm too introverted, Grant. I don't need the Holy Spirit. Don't worry about it. He likes introverts too. <laughs> I promise you, he's, he's not trying to freak you out. But Jesus says, if you're going to do what I've called you to do, you need to be open to the Spirit. Are you with me? He's a promise and a gift.
And so this is what we want to do. We're just going to put some music on, uh, some prayer music in the background. I'm going to ask them to bring the lights down just a little bit. And I want to give you space to simply meet with Jesus. For some of you, that's coming up, and it's actually leaning in with some, uh, some folks from our prayer team and just asking, Holy Spirit, would you fill me? Would you fill me? And so we're going to do that now. We're just going to create space.